It is KMOX. I am Chris Ranji in for Kevin Wheeler tonight. Good evening on this day that we celebrate. We celebrate the return of baseball and no longer do we have to watch Jesse Rogers watch people walk across a parking lot. Um, The lockout ends. Season's going to start April 7th and Jesse Rogers, national reporter for ESPN, joins us here on KMOX. Good evening, Jesse. Hello, Chris. How are we doing, pal? I'm, I'm doing great, buddy. You're busy. you got a lot going on today. Oh, and- my God. It's been insane. I've never covered anything like this in my life. I really haven't. Some days I felt like after talking to both sides, I need to take a long shower. Um, <laughs> other days I felt like, okay, these people really do want to do a deal. But I will tell you, Chris, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that it, it happened this week. I, I thought for a while this would be the week, to be honest. I thought March 15th was the deadline because this is the week in order to play 162, they needed an agreement. So even I wasn't buying the league's deadlines, and I certainly know the union wasn't. And I, I give the union credit. They didn't even blink when down in Florida they set up that deadline and said no pay, no games, no nothing would be made up, you know, all that stuff. The union didn't care. They extended the deadline. Union didn't care. They came back to New York, set another deadline. Union didn't care. And the fact of the matter is the union got a better deal than they would have a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, two months ago. So I guess the union did its job. Do you, but, go but, ahead. Wait, yeah. I don't think uh, the owners just gave in. The economic system of this sport is still the same. Arbitration after three years, free agency after six years, tanking is still going to be part of the game, even though there's a lot of redraft. I don't think that solves it. So both sides did get something, but both sides also didn't get everything they wanted. And I guess that's the way it should go. Yeah. I think if you go back and go back weeks and you look at what players, if they got everything they wanted, you know, within reason, um, the owner still would have come out ahead, even with all of that. And they didn't get anything close to all the stuff they wanted, though. There was some movement here. It just felt like no matter what, at Major League Baseball, the league was going to win this thing. Well, yeah, because they hold the ball literally literally and figuratively, right? I mean, they, they can hold out longer than the players. Let's just face it. If they, And that's the thing. I, I think there's some owners that, that were okay with not playing April. But, look, they cut a deal today to play 162. So you can't crap on the owners as much as everybody wants to, right? They're, they're, they are billionaires and live in a different world than the rest of us. But – they, I, I think most of them wants, want to play 162. They, I, I, I believe that they, they don't own teams to keep it closed, right? They, but obviously they were willing to hold out to get the best deal. I think both sides can, can claim some victories. Like I said, the core economic um, structure of the game is the same. That benefits the owners. But certainly the players did get something, a $50 million pre-arbitration bonus pool. Come on, that's something. Yeah. Um, no longer can you play – uh, play games with um, a, a guy that comes up for service time as much. I, you know, you come up three weeks into the season, you win rookie of the year. Year you didn't get a cert, you didn't get a year of service time before. Now you do. So there, there are things there. Um, huge raise in the minimum, even though it was deserved. They got it. So um, there's a lot of wins the players can, can can say. Things that have never been part of baseball before. A lottery draft is a win for the players. They wanted it. They got it. So. Um, both sides can claim some victories, and, and that's a good thing, I guess. The qualifying offer still a thing, though. That's a thing the players really wanted to get rid of. Is there, you know, any avenue down the line for that to be taken care of, or are we pretty much dealing with that forever? 
Yeah, there's other avenues to do it. Obviously, if they adopt the international draft, they'll they'll drop the qualifying offer. You know, some of the things, and I think this is the reason um, some of the guys on the executive board on the players held out. I mean, five of the eight players are Boris clients, and, you know, qualifying offers usually get extended to Boris clients. Um, CBT issues usually, deal, uh, you know, are, are, are affect um, Boris clients. So you saw, I mean, it's quite the story. Eight executive board members out of eight voted against the deal, and then they took it to the rank and file of the players, and they voted, you know, uh, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly for the deal. So that's an interesting storyline. Um, but I know fans don't don't care so much about that. Uh, so yeah, they didn't get everything they wanted, but maybe the international draft will be part of part of baseball soon enough, and, that, and then they'll drop the uh, qualifying offer. Well, so all 30 owners ratified the deal, but prior to that, there were four teams that voted no on the proposal, and it's interesting you, you mentioned what you did because the four teams that voted no were the Mets, the Yankees, the Astros, and the Cardinals. There has to be some connection because if you look at the executive committee on the player's yeah. side – Pretty much all of those players were part of those teams. So Andrew Miller's a Cardinal, Jason Castro's an Astro, um, uh, Garrett Cole, Zach Britton, uh, uh, Yankees, uh, Lindor and Scherzer are, are, are Mets. So what's the connection there? What what what's going on in that little uh, thing? Well, there, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, Chris. They were able to influence their teams. Simple as that. To vote no. And, and I guess that's probably the right thing. I mean, why wouldn't they influence their teams? They're, they're on the executive board, and they are leaders of those teams. So that kind of fits. But I thought you were going to go in a different direction regarding the owners. Think about this. The owners, we know, four of them voted no down in Jupiter. Great story by the Athletic to, to out those owners. It's four right? different teams than this. Oh, right. Right. But, yeah. but, right. It's four different teams. But let's just talk about the owners for a second. Four voted no. The players got more, I just mentioned, over the last two weeks since Jupiter, and yet they voted unanimously this time around. Now, that's one of two things. None of them wanted to be outed again as the guys to vote no to a CBA that actually gets ratified, right? They, they either, you know, I don't want to be that guy that gets outed in the, in the papers, right? Or they truly, uh, Manfred did a, did a good job and, and said, look, I know we're giving them even more than we did two weeks ago, but we've got to make this deal or the season's going to be in trouble. So that, I find that very interesting. A worse deal, four guys said no. A better deal um, for the players, everybody said okay. But you're right, on the player side, there's their correlation, the executive board and the teams that voted no. Um, that, that makes sense, but it's a fascinating part of the story that I don't know all the details on. Um, eight guys voted no from the executive board, yet 26 out of 30 teams voted yes. It, it, it's interesting. It's these four teams in particular, and I wonder if there's a if if all teams voted no for a same reason. And if you look at who they are, the Mets, Yankees, Astros, and Cardinals, those are all teams that try to be competitive, or at least the Mets are trying to now with new ownership. Astros, obviously, Yankees, obviously, Cardinals, obviously. Does that have anything to do with it? Yes, I. And to be honest. The teams that voted no, um, the owners, I was surprised by that. So um, it, it, there, there seems to be no rhyme or reason it, 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 at times. But I view, I view the Cardinals, since we're talking, I'm talking to you in St. Louis, I view the Cardinals as like a, the poster team for why this is a very complicated subject. I brought this up before, I think, on, on the radio down there. 
it, it because the Cardinals try to win and should be commended for that, absolutely commended. Yet we know that at least based on market size, they can't compete with the Yankees or the Mets or the Dodgers. So I think they are very sensitive to that CBT, for example, going too high and or revenue sharing changing because we know the Cardinals do get revenue sharing um, and also draw 3 million fans, which is a nice little combination. But if the CBT goes up too high and the Cardinals aren't willing to go meet that CBT, they'll lose out on players to the other rich teams. And so it's very interesting that they voted okay to the proposal two weeks ago and again today, not too worried about the CBT, yet their player rep, Andrew Miller and, and the team, didn't like it. But again, it's those executive board members that are there day to day that, you know, have an association with Boris and a higher CBT is associated with Boris as well. Those guys all voted no. Now, I know if Andrew Miller's listening, and I know Andrew Miller well, he'd say, Jesse, it has nothing to do with the Boris clients. There's more to this story. But it is interesting that the eight members on that board voted no, and the rank and file voted yes. Jesse Rogers, national baseball reporter for ESPN, is joining us here on KMOX. And you mentioned this earlier, um, that you don't, you're not exactly sure, and I'm right there with you, that enough has been done at for for the bottom teams to force them to try to be more competitive. So the Orioles, Pirates, that kind of stuff. They get the draft lottery. That's a good addition. Um, obviously, minimum pay for younger players is going to go up, which I don't know if that necessarily leads to more competition at the bottom. How do you think this is going to work then? Are teams going to try to be more competitive just by virtue of that draft? I don't think so. I don't think so because I've talked to enough cynical agents that think that, okay, the pirates aren't going to be that upset at picking fifth. They don't have to pay that guy as much as if if they're picking first. (laughs) That's how teams that don't want to spend think. So, uh, and, and, and by the way, I mean, now it's not that big of a deal. What five, uh, five teams in the lottery. So it's still a race to the bottom five, right? You can still get the first pick by being really bad. Even if you're in a lottery, so, no, I, I don't think enough was done in terms of tanking. Now, I talked to Rob Manfred myself about 90 minutes ago on the phone, and I brought that up. And he continues to express the same storyline he's always expressed. I think the phrase he used was about when I brought up tanking, and I used that word, he called it negative rebranding. And what he meant by that is back in back in the day, I know, back in the day when we were growing up, nobody heard of tanking. We just thought, Oh, well, the Cubs suck, you know, and, and they're going to be bad for a few years. But but we but the, the difference is, and I, I should have gone back to him on this, now teams will state, I mean, the Cubs did this in, in, in 13, 12, we are rebuilding, hang with us, in four years we'll have a good team. When we were kids, nobody said that out loud. We, we knew they sucked, but so it's, it's strange. He won't necessarily acknowledge the word tanking. He never has. He just calls it cycles of losing and winning. But it's, it's gotten strange, and he, he knows this. He admits this. The, the payroll disparity is huge, five times from the bottom to the top. And it's one thing if the Orioles are bad. You finish 20 games out of first place, that'll happen. They're finishing 30 games out of fifth place, fourth place, whatever. It's so, so they didn't address it enough. Oh, uh, was it? What did he call it? Negative rebranding. Negative rebranding of of 
what back in the day was just cycles of teams, yeah, you know, it. going, winning and losing. Okay. All right. I, 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 I don't think, see, I'm with you on this. Teams are more now emboldened to say, we're going to suck for a few years. We know that. Like, we're, they're okay with it because people have been okay with the idea of rebuilding because they think on the other end of that rebuilding, you're going to get what, like, the Cubs had and what the Astros, the Astros. did and, yep. and that sort of thing. So they're more okay with it. Um, and that's, I kind of feel like teams just took advantage of that. They have. And, and, and the fact that the Astros and Cubs won is only like you just used the, Boston you, too. You used the right word and bolding. Yeah. yeah. And, um, problem is it, it, it doesn't always happen for every team. I will tell you, I've talked to executives on smaller markets and they say financially, we have to go through those uh, recycling years and, um, those tanking years, recycling, whatever you want to call it. Um, and rebuilding, and, the th- and that ultimately, Chris, is still the biggest disconnect in covering this story, that these owners are, are saying the quiet part out loud and either are believing a lie or are actually telling the truth. And you know what I'm getting at, that day-to-day, year-to-year, owning a baseball team is not that profitable. Uh-huh. Now, of course, it sounds crazy. I just can't believe they keep saying it. And is it, is it a lie they're telling themselves, or is there is there some truth? Now, look, 30 teams do not make money every year. That That is that is truthful. You know, poorly run teams that don't win don't make money. Um, and there's all sorts of accounting that goes on, um, you know, so we can't know for sure. But this is what they keep saying, that day-to-day, year-to-year, we don't we don't have $100 million just laying in the bank. It, com- it comes in, it goes out. It comes in, it goes out. But no one seems to believe them, including me. Jesse Rogers, I appreciate your time. I am uh, I'm excited that now we can move our attention months from now to Hug Watch instead of Parking Lot Watch. This is it's going to be so much better that we actually have baseball going on this year. And and thank you for uh, all of your coverage. Not like you're doing it for free or anything, but you know, thanks for being there. For you, Chris, I'll be anywhere. What, Call me anytime. Yeah, you're damn right. Thanks, I Jesse. Mean, I answer. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye. That's Jesse Rogers, national baseball reporter for ESPN. Uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite developments. I I disagree with Rammer on this. I thought it was really exciting seeing Jesse and and Evan and everybody else's photos from the parking lot, watching Rob Manfred and players walk back and forth. And oh, how else were we going to find out that Max Scherzer drove there in a Porsche? Or is it Porsche? I don't know how you say it, but I remember it being a huge story that a baseball player who's well compensated has a nice car. This is Sports Open Line. The number to call or text 314-436-7900. That's 314-436-7900. Your thoughts on the lockout coming to an end. Are you happy for the players? Are you happy for the owners? Are you just happy there's baseball? Or do you feel like this is a bad deal? What are you thinking? Let me know. We'll talk about that next. I'm in for Kevin Wheeler, Chris Ranji on KMOX.